This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 59, part A. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hello and welcome to the Negotiate X podcast. I am your co-host, the co-founder, Nolan Martin. With me today is my good friend, co-host, co-founder, Aram Denisian. Aram, would you like to introduce our guest for today? I will. Thanks, Nolan. Folks, today we are honored to have Professor Dr. Kasia Yagorzinska. She empowers others to succeed by helping them boost their negotiation power. Kasia combines her academic background and experiences with rich international business advisory work in the field of negotiations. She's the author of three books, Negotiation Booster, The Ultimate Self-Empowerment Guide to High-Impact Negotiations, Negotiate Your Way to Success, Personal Guidelines to Boost Your Career, and The Financial Times Guide to High-Impact Negotiation. As a professor, she works with students from universities in Switzerland, France, Italy, and Poland. She also mentors and trains executives from some of the largest corporations in Europe, Asia, the U.S., and the Middle East, working with these business professionals from various industries and sectors to help them more effectively manage the professional and personal challenges they face when interacting with their business partners. Kasia served as a senior advisor to the United Nations in Geneva, where she assisted in multi-stakeholder negotiations and conflict management. She is the founder of Negotiation Booster, an innovative approach to business negotiations that leverages the task-related aspects of a negotiation with the underlying emotional factors. Kasia holds a PhD in international law. She is multilingual and has extensive experience working in multicultural environments, having lived and wor worked in several countries. Thank you, Kasia, for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure to be your guest on this episode. Uh, thanks, Kasia. So I was hoping you could share a little bit about your professional journey and the path that led you to this career in international negotiations. Um, actually, it's a very interesting story because it builds on a lot of the premises that I teach or I train negotiations according to which is the principle of randomness, you know, that life has to be planned. I, I believe in that. I'm uh, to some extent a perfectionist, but also I do believe that like negotiations that require strategic planning, some things have to take their own course as well and have to be left to free fall a little bit. I think that we're becoming a little bit too often too, too much strategic, not human enough. And going back to my story, how it all started, after I defended my PhD in law, I found myself working in the legal profession for several months in a job that I was quite unmotivated to, to perform, to say, to put it mildly. I quit that job after several months in a very difficult market, and I found myself uh, without any negotiation options, which was a fundamental mistake. Mistake, I like to talk about mistakes in reference to negotiations, because I think that 
that's a gold mine of information of what not to do ever again. So I found myself with in that situation of no alternatives in a very difficult economic year, looking for alternative options of employment and professional development. And I came to be, uh, I found myself uh, working for a pharmaceutical company. I was eventually offered a job in a company in Paris and I moved to Paris. At that time, I was working in Poland and living in Poland. So I decided to move to Paris and hence I started my first international experience working as a manager due to my uh, legal background. I was made responsible for negotiating contracts, engaging in multi-party, multi-stakeholder international negotiations. The company had sister companies all across the globe. So that was pretty considerable international exposure right from the start. And when I was working already at that company, I was offered an academic position back in, in Poland. So I found myself with no options. I found myself with too many options all of a sudden on the table, (laughs) which is very often the case. And we can go back to that discussion and how that relates to negotiation and uh, still uh, living a little bit in the remembering a little bit the fear of having no options. I accepted that position and I found myself working basically nonstop from uh, Monday to Friday as a manager and then on the weekends as a lecturer and soon to be a professor. And that's how I developed uh, the dual track of my career. So the academic side and the managerial side as well. And also uh, continued and started developing my passion for negotiations and started specializing in the sphere specifically of business negotiations. So that's how it all started. A little bit of a failure story. And then that uh, transformed itself into quite an, an exciting and stimulating career that is still unfolding in many directions. Well, just by that intro, you have given us some things to dig into this tension between perfectionism and having to have everything planned out to be an okay with some randomness, the learning from mistakes with which Nolan and I as both as four military folks appreciate, right? There's so much, you said that you called it a gold mine. So maybe we'll discuss a few more mistakes and then, and then the no options to too many, right? I know no options is bad, But my guess is sometimes having too many options can also be challenging. I think so. I think so that um, we suffer from that in business. Uh, Actually, marketing research talks about the fact that people who are presented with too many options, uh, very often sales will drop. The activity reports will suffer because people are paralyzed by too much choice. I think that's that's very often what we see now in, in the modern business world, also in our personal lives. And I think that starting from less sometimes and slicing down the options that we have is not the worst strategy, I would say, in a negotiation or maybe it's not a strategy, but not the worst starting point that there could be, no matter what we think it might be. And we can go back to that as well, the psychological, how we can, how how do we see things in, in relation to how we act upon them as well is something we can talk about. You know, we're getting some of your story as, and you've shared some of the events personally that were occurring for you. Also kind of the who in terms of mentors and maybe others, you know, who's kind of had some of the influence on the way you think about negotiation, even approach negotiation, conflict management, as you look back and say, yeah, that's, that's formed as I, as I put all this together, this is forming a lot of my thinking. I don't want to sound too much of a nerd, 
But my first, <laughs> my first answer would be... Uh, excuse me. You, you have a PhD. You are a professor. <laughs> you advise with the United... You're a nerd. And, and that's okay with us. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yes, I think pretty much so. That is self-defining. So let's, let's, in that spirit of nerdiness, I would have to say that my first role model in negotiations was my mother. Back at a time when women... It was not a given that women should not compromise on anything. And she was certainly one of those women who did not compromise on her femininity, on her warmth as, as a wife, as a mother to me, and also as a professional career businesswoman. And I think that's, that shaped me, having that her as a role model allowed me to see that also myself as, as, as a female negotiator, as a female professional, I not necessarily have to compromise. And that taught me the art of not always seeking the easiest solution. As you can see, as my intro story highlights a little bit, that failure was, uh, there were easier options uh, at that time. I could have stayed in, in Poland. I could have stayed in that position. But my mindset was always not to settle for less, I would say. So that was, that was the first, I would say that was the upbringing. And then my second role model was my mentor, professional who worked with me. Uh, we met when I was still a student. I met him and his family, his, his wife and his two daughters. And that experience shaped me because we ended up working together, not only when I was a student, but eventually also in that job that I mentioned earlier when I moved to France. And this was someone who taught me, I would say, what I teach now executives, that negotiations Negotiation starts primarily with self-management, with managing yourself, with understanding some of your hot buttons, your triggers, the things that stress you, the, the things that flatter or flatten your ego, and how to then manage, manage the strategic process. So those would be the, the two biggest influences, although there have been so many other inspirational people. I, have, I call myself blessed to have met so many wonderful people on my personal and professional track that have shaped ultimately the way that I see the world and how I function in it. And thank you. Thank you for sharing both of those, those examples. You talked about your mother and the, the idea that you don't have to compromise in negotiate your way to success. Your book, you talk about, you have this quote, which I picked up on and liked, and, and it kind of gets to this idea, contrary to what inexperienced professionals might think compromise in negotiations is not a win-win solution. In fact, it's a win-lose strategy. Since, since you mentioned compromise and limitations, can you say a little bit more about why compromise can be costly and risky in negotiations, especially when considering our values? Yeah. Yes. I mean, um, let's talk about, let's distinguish between two situations of compromise in short-term and long-term business relationships or uh, interactions in general. Compromise is considered, at least in the theory, we'll talk about practice in a moment, as a quick fix solution if you don't have too much time. It's this cliche story of the orange. We slice the orange in half, and then after we've divided it, you know, you all know the story, so I'm not going to bore you with it. However, in real life, a compromise, I think that the, apart from the strategic aspect of loss of resources or the potential for expending the, the resource that is on the table, I think compromise, the biggest danger of compromise is the psychological danger that you settle, exactly what I was saying before, that you settle for half of what you can get. And if you listen to any motivational speakers, and I like to listen, for example, to Tony Robbins, I find his 
some of the things that he has to share with us quite inspirational, or those gurus of, or people who have to some extent achieved their dreams or considered themselves as successful people, they very often talk about not placing limitations on what you want and compromise. If you do that, ultimately you create a pattern or a habit rather than a pattern in your behavior, in the expectation of your negotiation partners as well, that you will, you've compromised once, therefore, why not again? And you eventually see yourself as a person, <clears throat> excuse me, and you define yourself as a person who settles for less. And, that, and that's the mindset that you bring into your next negotiation as well. That fine, if I get a half, that's fine with me. So basically, I always say that uh, you define your own well worth and that's the starting point of the discussion and that's how people externally that's the work that they will attribute to you thanks yeah thanks for that clarification and, and i love how you brought it back to this idea around mindset so Kasha, as you've navigated your own career what have been some of the negotiation challenges you faced and what do you do to successfully overcome them um some of the most uh, difficult I, I can't say that i've engaged in too many unpleasant situations, I, I would say, rather than that, I still consider that first experience with that first job as the most challenging, exactly because I thought that I have to compromise and definitely because my sanity even, my my mental health was compromised in that situation. The, the most difficult negotiations by far were the ones in which I entered, I can't now specify which situation that exactly was but the ones that i entered with a no no fa failure is not an option type of mindset in the sense that i call it the knife on the throat attitude that you enter as if you know this is it or nothing which uh, luckily in business negotiations at least as as compared to and as opposed to crisis negotiations seldom is that the case but i very often see that that people believe, well, there's no other option, you know, this is it or nothing for me and so on. All those negotiations with that mindset when I entered that, I always failed with, with no exception, basically. So those were the most challenging, where for some reason I wasn't feeling empowered. And that reason can be very personal. And it, those can be very personal reasons to different people. Therefore, we talked about in the negotiation booster earlier. When I was design, designing that approach, I was pretty much looking at what exists in the market. I was thinking back on when I started to specialize myself in the topic of negotiations, in the academic sphere, in the research uh, arena, but also more importantly, in the practical sphere, I noticed that strategies, tools, tactics alone are not sufficient to maximize the potential that we all carry to be great negotiators, basically. You have to combine it with also the personal self-empowerment aspect to overcome some of the challenges that you're facing. Thanks for sharing that. In one of your books, and, and kind of tied to this idea around challenges, you, you describe uh, having to overcome some gender-related stereotypes. What advice do you give to young women that are following in your footsteps and potentially facing similar bias? And how do all of us ensure gender stereotypes don't limit our inner negotiation power? Without getting too political, because I don't uh, particularly warm up to that topic, I would say that this is both, I don't want to talk in particular about one gender or the other, because I think that we, we I think based on my experience, I noticed that very often both genders suffer from confidence related, perhaps they're 
externalized in a different manner. However, we as humanity, humankind in general, suffer from confidence-related, may suffer or very often do suffer from confidence-related challenges. To overcome that, in, in the putting that in the context of gender-related and discrimination on that basis, I would say that we have to, we should not pretend. Let me be more specific. This would be my recommendation. Let me be uh, more clear about what I mean. That a female negotiator not necessarily has to negotiate according to the protocol that a male negotiator would apply and vice versa. So I think that is important for us to be, I think what I'm trying to say is to be genuine and to appreciate our differences, embrace them as a source of diversity and not try to, uh, a woman in other words, as my father once said to me, when I asked him, well, how should I, with, with which attitude should, should I go there in a negotiation, a particularly difficult one, he said to me, with yours, you know, with, with the whole spectrum of you. As I mentioned before, I deliberately use the words in relation to my mother, a feminine. I use the, the adjective feminine, femininity, that she chose not to compromise on that. And too often what I observe is that we get lost somehow not necessarily as i mentioned the same tools that will apply to everyone gender or regardless because we might also talk about race and i know a lot of negotiators also function in that sphere talking about race and how race can have an impact those are valid problems i'm not trying to offer a quick fix solution those are valid society suffers from still very much inequalities i've experienced a lot of them as well a lot of stereotyping my recommendation would be do not let others assess your worth. I like to quote Edith Ager here, the survivor of the Holocaust. Uh, she's known as the ballerina of Auschwitz. In her book, The Choice, she shares with us, for me, unforgettable, un unforgettable advice in relation to embracing who we are. She said that I was, I'm a survivor and I was victimized, but I was never a victim. And I think that's very strong. So a lot of us face discrimination. And you can see it as being as an event or an act that happens. Or you can see yourself as the victim. And if the moment that you see yourself as a victim, uh, you start off on the path, I would say, to victimhood in negotiations that very often will transform into less success that you could have achieved in a given negotiation that would be my recommendation and a lot of female a lot of my students um, see me as someone that they can confide in they share stories and sadly those stories are pretty much resonated this the same challenges all around it doesn't matter if it's an mba and so on it's it's very unfortunate but the biggest weapon is not to allow that to you, you only you can decide basically what defines you what a powerful response to that question. Thank you very much. And I loved both bringing both your parents into that, the genuineness while still embracing differences. Thank you for that. Thank you. You've put together a good deal of key tips and tools to negotiate salary. And one key insight you have is never accept a lower title in exchange for a higher salary. Could you say a little more about why you give this particular advice and what other advice do you give for salary negotiations? Yes, I remember this very well, this experience that resulted in that chapter. It was in this, uh, in this job that I, that I moved to Paris for. Lacking a lot of experience at that point, that was many, many years ago, 
I was fresh out of uh, law school, fresh with my in my PhD that I had to hide, by the way, I had to hide the fact uh, my age, the gender, obviously, I could not hide. So I had to hide the age, I had to hide also the fact that I have a title, which to many people was seen as a little bit maybe arrogant or putting myself higher up in the in the hierarchy which was itself a painful uh, experience for me in the sense that something that I've worked so hard for all of a sudden have had to be put in a drawer so that other people would not be would not seem in a lower position which again was a little bit something uh, of perception we can talk a little bit about that but going back to the question I remember that uh, I had high expectations. So being true to, to what we talked about, the art of not compromising, I did have high expectations um, at by some seen as overly high expectations. And at one point it came to a discussion where it was pretty much clear that I will not uh, be able to achieve the target, the financial target that I set for myself and that particular negotiation. As I said, having not many options, I still wanted to get the best deal, but nonetheless, I still wanted to get the job. And for some reason, I had enough common sense back then. Now it's experience. Back then, it was intuition or common sense or just, you know, being young and, and pretty foolish. Uh, I figured that, you know, if I can't if I can't get the salary, then at least let's look at the long term. You know, what will count apart from the experience? What will people see externally as a takeaway from this job experience? And the, the obvious connotation was the role itself, the title. So I found myself ferociously with my mentor back then, who was a very skilled and a very tough negotiator, negotiating for a higher title. I specifically wanted to have a manager somewhere in that title because I knew that if I would have the manager, then any other employer, the next employer who would see my CV, would see that the springboard to my next position would be from the management level. And I think we put that manager title somewhere as the fifth word in the title that I had in the contract, but it was there. So the reason that I suggest <laughs> this is that imagine that this is your springboard. So there are two factors right. or even three. Your experience obviously is your springboard to the next a type of commitments and um, engagements you can take on the salary maybe especially if it's public such as at the un nation you have levels united nations or level or or the eu level and so on but also primarily what people see on your cv is your last title and i've very often had situations where i already held a director role and i judged by the reactions of the recruiter who was trying to headhunt me for example they would themselves explicitly say, of course, we cannot give you a lower title. You were already in a managerial or a director role and so on. Therefore, that intangible aspect of a job negotiation in this case can offset uh, the potential compromises or concessions rather, the concessions that you have to make on the salary. And I do realize there may be different objectives. I, I'm not claiming that financial recognition is not important sometimes it's a matter of survival and and so on but equally important are the intangible aspects of the negotiation such as for example the title as well i love how you answered that and i i, I think that so many people miss all those other things that there are to negotiate around in a salary negotiation beyond the salary or simple compensation like you're talking about title and duties and responsibilities, the ability to travel or access to senior leaders. 
and I, I just feel like it's it's easy to get narrow. Yes. As you've worked with folks, how, what, like how do you get them to see the bigger picture there? Exactly, but um, this is very interesting what you're saying. This this tunnel vision, this uh, this uh, singular focus, very often on only one aspect in the negotiation. Going back to the title, something that came up when when I was thinking a little bit when you were speaking is also the fact that it's not just a springboard for how others will assess the benchmark of how high or low you can go, but most importantly, it's also something that defines you in your own eyes. Very often, I will never forget when I was very, very young, just after uh, I defended my PhD, and I, I did it very fast because I focused all my energy only on, on finishing that thesis, um, and definitely experience did not go hand in hand. And I remember the first time that I was called in uh, as an expert to the European Union on cross-border mediation and child abduction. And I thought to myself, my goodness, you know, expert level. And I definitely did not feel, it didn't feel, I didn't feel like an expert. But I remember how that when I saw my, my own name, and it is a, it, it does uh, obviously flatter the ego a little bit, but it also allows you to implement behaviors that support that title. And I think that is the most important aspect that allows you to stay motivated, to be motivated, and to try to be better. I know that the quality of my work in that engagement for the, for the EU back then I know that the quality was higher also because I was carrying the responsibility of that label, carrying the responsibility of the title. And uh, according to me, always, if you're in a position of privilege, such as with access to expertise, um, and I was lucky enough for my parents to be able to educate me, to, to be able to give me the tools for becoming who I am today, that is also that carries with itself also social obligation, social responsibility for the quality of work that you do and the standards that you also introduce in, in who you are and in, in your interactions also with other people. I wanted to put a quick plug in for Kasha's new book, The Financial Times Guide to High Impact Negotiation. This book is available at all major distributors, so be sure to get your copy now. Hey everyone, Nolan here. I have to jump in and end today's podcast part A of the show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast if you haven't already. And also, join us next week for part B of this awesome interview. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.